So session two, and you can see up there that we are thinking about decisions at work, tough uh, decisions um, at work. And so I thought I'd start just with a, a little tough decision for you to discuss uh, with your neighbor. So um, listen up. Here's the tough decision, okay? Uh, here you are. Yes, good. It's up on the screen. Good. You are single, uh, but you are keen to meet your future spouse, and you are driving down the road in your sports car on a wild, stormy night. When you pass by a bus stop and you see three people waiting for the bus, knowing that there can only be one passenger in your car, whom would you choose? <laughs> a, an old lady fed up with waiting for the bus. B, an old friend who once saved your life. Or C, the perfect future spouse who you have been dreaming about. You can choose anyone. Discuss with your neighbor. Who would you choose? Go. Okay, okay. So I'd like a few answers from a, a few people to see who you've chosen and why. Who would like to volunteer? Okay, there we go. Standing up, so keen to give an answer. Let's listen in. Correct answer first time. Brilliant. Brilliant. Anyone got an even better answer? That was the answer I was going to give exactly right. So you give the keys to the car to your friend, uh, put the old lady and your friend in, and you are left at the bus stop with your dream partner. Um, any, there was another answer. Anyone want to give better than that? Yeah, go on. Let's we'll hear it. <laughs> there we go there we go there we go good so hopefully what we've done there is just think a little bit about tough decisions uh, now we're going to think about tough decisions um, in the work context and this is as I've been saying uh, underlying a lot of what we're thinking about today is integrity and um, wanting to think through in the tough decisions that we have to make in work whatever those workplaces are and whatever the kind of tough decisions are that they're about how can we be people of integrity in those decisions? How can actually uh, we decide things in a way that fits with who we are and what our values are? That's what we're going to be thinking about in this second session. So um, 
10 years ago, when I think it was about 10 years ago, Ruth Kelly was made the Secretary of State for Education. And at the time, much was written about her, um, her, her Christian beliefs and whether they were compatible with her being in charge of education for this country. And she was interviewed by the Daily Mirror, and this is what she said. She said, I have a private spiritual life, and I have a faith. I have a private spiritual life, and I don't think it is relevant to my job. And then this is what Matthew Paris, the Times columnist, uh, wrote in the Times uh, a couple of days later. He said, that is wholly inconsistent with Christ's teaching. Of course, one's faith and the moral code anchored in it is relevant to one's job. It is impossible to read the Gospels in any other way. And I would say Matthew Paris is the one that's got that right. Uh, So many people, so many Christians, so many of us, uh, we seem to try and live different lives in different spheres. So, you know, here's my spiritual life over here, which exists at church. And here is my working life, which exists over here at work. And the two, they don't overlap. But that is nonsense. It's disintegrated, and it leads to us lacking in integrity. So what we need to try and do, we need to try and, if you will like, make our circles overlap as completely as possible. Because as we've been thinking about, what we do at work is just as spiritual as what we do in church. And I think there are two ways that our decisions can become disconnected from our values as Christians. So our decisions is what's happening externally. This is the decision that we make uh, in work, in whatever the decision might be. That's the external thing. They can come disconnected from our values, from who we are as a Christian and what we believe as a Christian. And so there's a lack of integrity. So here are two ways that that lack of integrity can take place um, as in the workplace. The first is by us being a chameleon. Uh, So you know uh, famously how chameleons, how they change their color to merge into the background. We can do that. Uh, You may have heard, I think it's in one of the Alpha Talks, uh, apparently if you stick a chameleon on a tartan cloth, it gets so confused uh, that it apparently explodes. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, But but we who are Christians uh, can be chameleons. So we can merge to the prevailing culture of our workplaces when we're at work, and we can merge to the prevailing culture of church when we're in church. We can just blend in. We can just keep changing who we are depending on where we are. So our decisions come disconnected from our Christian values. So that's the first way. Uh, The second way that our decisions at work will end up not being aligned to our values is not so much being a chameleon, but being a hedgehog. Okay, so we, if you like, we curl ourselves up in a little ball like a hedgehog, aghast at these sort of godless words and actions emanating from our non-Christian colleagues. We sort of go into our own little private world at work. We try and detach ourselves from all that's going on that we so disapprove of with this spike sticking out like a little hedgehog trying to defend ourselves from these non-Christian barbarians. You know, we just do our job with as little interaction with our colleagues as possible. We avoid the office Christmas party. And again, what happens then is our decisions, they're not aligned with our values, because we suddenly retreat in this little world, saying, actually, we don't have any impact in the world out there. No, we are called to be a light to the world. Now, I don't want us to go on a massive guilt trip. Please uh, don't do that. But I do want us to recognize that we, all of us, will have a tendency to at least one of those two ways of our decisions not matching our values. And I know, as well as you, from my time uh, as a management consultant particularly, that the workplace is such a tough environment to align our decisions to our values. I can think of plenty of times when I acted like a chameleon, and I can think of plenty of times when I acted like a hedgehog. And I'm sure that it is probably the same uh, for most of us here this morning. 
So again, I'd love you to just turn to your neighbour and just discuss which of those two do you have more of a tendency to do? More of a tendency to be a chameleon or more of a tendency to be a hedgehog? Just chat with your neighbour. Go for it. Okay, let's just do a hands up again, always interesting to see. Um, who here feels that more often you tend towards being a chameleon? Who's more chameleon? Okay, and who's more hedgehog? Okay, Two, uh, three quarters chameleons, one quarter hedgehog. Uh, great, so I'd love you to turn to um, page... Uh, 838 in the, if you've got the green Bible, but it's Daniel, da uh, book of Daniel. Uh, if you've got those green Bibles, it's at page 838 in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. Um, and we're just going to look at a little bit of the life of Daniel, just to help us in thinking through how do we align our decisions, what happens out there externally, how do we align our decisions with our values? our values as who we are in Christ. Okay, how do we align our decisions uh, with our values? How do we be people of integrity when it comes to tricky decisions that we have to make at work, whether they're big ones or small ones? Uh, we're just going to try and look a little bit of Dan uh, the life of Daniel just to get something of an idea of this. Now, the background to Daniel, you probably know, is the Babylonians, uh, they'd occupied Israel. 
they've taken a large part, part, part of the population to Babylon as exiles, and particularly they've taken young, talented Israelites who were selected for training to serve in the court of the king of Babylon, and Daniel was one such young man. Let me just read the first eight verses of Daniel chapter 1. It says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So Tim, when he was younger, would have been one of these. Um, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Uh, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. And so the story goes on. Now, the immediate question in chapter 1 is why does Daniel make such an issue about the food and drink? I mean, in verse 4, if you look at verse 4, we read that Daniel studies Babylonian language and literature, which would have included astrology, omens, incantations, and he's happy to do that. Verse 7, we read that Daniel has his name changed to a Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, a name which refers to Bel, the Babylonian god, and he's happy with that. Doesn't make a stand on either of those two things. And yet, when it comes to the food and drink from the king's table, verse 8, verse eight <coughs> excuse me, verse 8, we read again, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So what's going on? Here's a tricky decision. When does he stand up and say, no, 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 I'm not prepared to do that? This is a tough decision at work. What's going on? Well, it seems um, that the food and drink, it was seen as unclean under Jewish regulations. And unlike the name, unlike the education, Daniel felt this was something he could not compromise on. Nevertheless, it wasn't so much that Daniel, if you like, needed to be clever enough to know what to make a stand on. It wasn't so much about being clever enough, but actually being brave enough to take any stand at all. And I would say that is the same for each one of us in our workplaces when it comes to tough decisions. First of all, we need to be brave to make decisions that are in line with our values as a Christian. That is going to be a different situation for different people in different workplaces. But just as Daniel had resolved in advance that he was going to take a stand on this issue, it says, but Daniel resolved, he thought about it in advance, He'd resolved in advance he was going to take a stand on this issue. So we, you and I, need to think through scenarios beforehand and make up our mind how are we going to act in a situation. We need to be brave. Second thing we need to be is considerate. Uh, being brave didn't mean that Daniel was arrogant or sort of unnecessarily awkward or unreasonable. 
He was considerate to others about how he went about keeping his decisions aligned with his values. So he didn't make demands, but you'll see in verse 8, he asked the chief official for permission. He understood that that actually was going to have effects on this chief official. Uh, he knew his manager would be held accountable if Daniel was ended up looking unhealthy. And so he, he suggests in verses 10, 11, 12, somewhere around there, uh, a sort of suitable, alternative, pragmatic course of action. A 10-day trial period of not eating this food and wine from the king's table. So he's considerate. Third thing, we need to be early. We need to be early. A friend of mine recently changed jobs uh, to work in a hedge fund, and he was interviewed for the job. And in the middle of the interview, he, he deliberately decided to state up front in the interview, without being prompted, that he was a Christian and that he wasn't up for sailing close to the wind morally, was what he said. He told them he wasn't worth employing if that was going to be part of the work. He wanted to nail his colors to the mark, mast early. And so too with each of us. We need to be early in our work situations uh, I was reminded, actually just chatting with someone over breakfast, I was reminded of a time when, when I started as a management consultant. So it was day two, and there were about 20 of us that all started at the same time, and it was sort of the, the, the training right at the start. And we had to introduce ourselves to each other. There was a flip chart, and we had five minutes, and we were told we got five minutes to think about um, what are the three biggest influences in your life. What are the three biggest influences in your life? You had five minutes to think through what you were going to put on the flip chart. What were the top three biggest influences in your life? And there was me right at the start of being a management consultant thinking, what am I going to put? Am I going to uh, identify myself as a Christian? Who am I going to put? What am I going to put as my three biggest influences? And I was petrified. I wanted to make a good impression with these other people, but I, I knew I had to stand up and say, actually, I'm a Christian. And uh, I, I actually was a bit wussy in it. I, I, what, I, what I put, I regret this. I, I put as my three top influences, I put one mum, two dad, and three God. And I remember someone, it was actually someone in this room, Emily Verity. I don't know if she'll remember this. But I remember Emily Verity coming up to me um, when I, I, I was telling her that story a, a sort of week or two after it. And she said, did you put God or Jesus? Um, and it was a really astute question. And I just put God, and then I said, I'm a Christian. But I actually, I should have put Jesus, and I should have put him number one. And actually say, right up central, who's the biggest influence in my life? Jesus. Now, you may not have something quite as direct as that, but it is so important to be early. To be early. If our decisions are going to be lined up uh, with our values of who we are in Christ as a Christian, we need to be early. Because the longer we leave it, the more difficult it will be. I seem to be talking about lilos a lot. But like the, the, um, the, the long, like lying on a lilo in the sea... You can drift and you can drift and you can drift out to sea and you've got to get off it and you've got to plant your feet on the ground. And it's the same with us. We can just drift and drift and drift in our workplaces. And that may be the case for some of you here. And actually, you've been in your workplace for a while and you've never taken the brave, tough decision. Perhaps no one even knows you're a Christian. And I want to encourage you, please don't give up. Please don't think it's too late. But please do be as early as you can. Next week, Monday. Actually, ask God for an opportunity. The longer you leave it, the more difficult it will be. You see, Daniel is a young man in chapter 1, maybe 20 years old. And this issue with the food, in some ways, it seems pretty insignificant. It's quite small. But what we see with Daniel is that making the right decision in the small things at work early on is the background for making the right decisions in the big situations when they arise later. 
Making those right decisions early in the small decisions, they are the background to making the right decisions in the big situations when they come. Now, you all know the situation with Daniel and the lion's den. That was Daniel. We often forget this, but that was Daniel as an old man. That was Daniel as an old man making the right decisions as an old man. I wanted to turn on to that, to, to chapter 6. That's where it, it, Daniel and the lion's den. Um, Daniel would have been in his, I think it's, a, it's probably his 70s um, when it gets to that. So we need to be brave, we need to be considerate, we need to be early. Fourth, we need to be diligent. Look at um, verse 3 of chapter 6. This is the intro bit to the lion's den. Uh, chapter 6, verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the chief ministers and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. See, in chapter 1, age 20, Daniel was working well. But still, wind the clock on, whatever it is, 40 years later, and he is still diligent in his work. He is still diligent. There's no corruption. He is trustworthy. Uh, he is not in the slightest negligent. Now, not all of us can be as exceptional in our jobs as Daniel, but we can all work well. We can act in our jobs with trustworthiness, with no corruption, with no negligence. And if we're going to make these good decisions and these tough decisions, we need to work well. And as you know, you know the story well. It's because Daniel works well that his colleagues know the only way to bring him down is something connected to his God. And so they speak to King Darius. They arrange a decree. If you look at the second half of verse 7, that anyone who prays to any God or man except to the king shall be thrown to the lions. And look at how Daniel responds. Verse 10. Look at verse 10. It says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Just as he'd done before. There's no debate in his mind, no thought that he might do anything different than he'd done before, no decision to have his sort of prayer time in the loo for the next month because then he wouldn't be seen. He did exactly as he'd done before. And so the final point, the final way that we actually keep our decisions in line with our values is to be consistent. We be consistent. Regardless of the situation and the pressure, Daniel does exactly as he has done before. No extenuating circumstances. He's totally consistent. And that is the challenge for you and I. Do our colleagues see the same continued consistency in our actions and in our words month by month, year by year? I remember once having a chat with um, someone whose organization were trying to get rid of him. They wanted him out. He was too old, supposedly. It was a really difficult few months. Uh, it was, there were disciplinary meetings. There were payoffs offered. It was a horrible time. And the challenge for him that we went back to again and again and again was, was he living consistently the same in this situation as he was living a few years previously when all was going well in the job? Or had his gracious attitude gone? Had his principle of never lying disappeared under attack? Had his desire to pray for his boss vanished due to his anger for the way he was being mistreated? That was his challenge, and it will be many of our challenges too, to keep consistent. Let me just uh, pause again. I'd just love you to just turn to your neighbor again and just say, which of those five principles do you find the biggest challenge for you in your current working situation? 
Just have a chat with your next door neighbor. Go. Okay, if I can draw us back together again. Now in the, final, um, in the final five minutes before we head off into our different groups, what I'd love to try and answer is um, why, why should we bother aligning our decisions with our values? Why should we bother aligning the decisions we make at work uh, with who we are as Christians? Why should we bother doing that? You know, when Daniel stands up for his values, when he stands up for who he is as a follower of the Lord, he gets thrown in the lion's den. Okay, so there's a big cost 
attached to aligning his decisions with his values. And some of us will know that at work. There is a big cost in it. Sometimes the mocking comment or the loss of popularity, perhaps even the loss of promotion, or even the loss of our job. So why bother aligning the decisions we make with who we are in Christ? Why bother? Because if we're not clear on why, then when those difficult decisions come, we will end up making decisions that are not in line with our values. We'll end up lacking integrity. So in chapter 6, Daniel, he's thrown in the lion's den. He miraculously survives the lion's den. And as a a result, King Darius, the king of the time, he writes to everyone in Babylon. He writes a decree, and it's a different one from the one at the start when he's saying everyone's got to pray to him. Um, And presumably what he says in this decree at the end of chapter 6, he talks about Daniel's God, our God. And presumably all that he talks about he has learnt from Daniel himself. So I wonder if you just flip on to Daniel 6 and verses 26 and 27. This is the decree that Darius um, decrees after um, Daniel has come out of the lion's den. And he says this, verse 26. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Amazing decree. Amazing words declared about our God. So why? Why bother aligning our decisions with who we are as Christians? I think there's such encouragement from these two little verses. Here's the first reason why. Because of God's rule. Because of God's rule. That's verse 26. We're reminded in verse 26 that God's rule is for eternity. He endures forever. And you and I as Christians, we are a part of that eternal kingdom. We have total security for eternity. We are part of this kingdom that will not be destroyed. And it is only when we're sure of where we are heading for eternity that we will live wholeheartedly for Jesus now. It's only when we're totally secure in that future, and we can be secure in it because it depends on Jesus, not on us. It's only when we're secure in that future that we'll be prepared to stand up for Jesus now at work, even if there are costs attached. After all, even if we do become less popular, even if we aren't promoted, even if we lose our job, what is that compared to an eternity in God's kingdom? So why why align our decisions with who we are in Christ? Because of God's rule. God's rule that guarantees us, his people, future eternal security. That is such an encouragement. So that's the first thing, reason why. God's rule. And the second reason why is because of verse 27, because of God's rescue. Because God is a rescuing God. He rescued Daniel from the lion's den, from physical death. But as Christians, he has rescued us from something far worse. He has rescued us from spiritual death. And the key question for me, for you, is what brings meaning? What brings significance to our lives in the present? See, if our job is really what gives us our significance then we are going to compromise when there's a choice between our job and deciding what God would want us to do. 
If our lifestyle, if our income is what really gives us significance in the present, again, we will compromise when there's a choice between our lifestyle and deciding what God would want us to do. If our desire for popularity and to be liked by our colleagues, if that is what gives us our significance in the present, again, we will compromise when there's a choice between being popular and deciding what God would want us to do. But if our ultimate significance in the present comes from knowing how precious we are to God, that he sent not an angel to shut the mouth of the lions, but he sent his own son to die for you and for me. If that is where we get our ultimate significance from, from God's rescue of us, then we are far, far, far more likely to make the right decisions when the challenging, tough decisions come upon us at work. Let me pray. Let's pray. Lord God, we had that image uh, last night of the stick of rock with the writing the same all the way through. And we pray by the power of your spirit that, Lord God, your rule and your rescue would be written all the way through us. Lord, would those wonderful truths would they drill down right into us, deep into our very beings, that they would be such huge things in our lives, that so much of who we are and how we live is in response to your rule and your rescue of us. We praise you for your reckless love to us, rescuing us when we didn't deserve it. We praise you for your rule over us, which gives us complete security for eternity. And we pray that we would be men and women more and more marked by a wonder at your rule and your rescue. And we pray that that would help us and spur us and be the catalyst for us, making wise and right decisions when the difficult decisions come for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.